Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another week of our podcast, Med Family. I am your host, Eric Acker. Today, I am not joined by Karen, unfortunately, and it's not it's not because. She's realized that she can do so much better than me and has left me. Uh, actually, she is um, back home and I am on an away rotation. And we did not really figure out how to do her coming in remotely. Uh, and so I'm just going to do it myself today, this week, and give her a night off and hopefully can give you guys some good information and not ramble on too long because I don't really like hearing the sound of my own voice. And I'm going to have to do edits after this and I kind of want to get some sleep. So. Uh, my, I am on an away rotation in Gainesville, Georgia at Northeast Georgia Medical Center. It is a, a hospital out here. It services a huge swath of North Georgia, Southern Tennessee, and I believe North Carolina, maybe a little bit of South Carolina. I'm not sure, but it's basically a service as a one of the major tertiary hospital systems in the area. So it is uh, level one trauma center. It is a, just a big, busy hospital, and I am serving on the inpatient service as a, a sub sub internship, or as we like to call it, a sub I. So I I'm on day two of this sub I, and I'm not quite tired yet. I thought I was going to be a little bit more exhausted going into this, but so far it's going pretty well. So my initial first thoughts are: this is a, a pretty fantastic program. I I've been paired with an intern or a first-year medical student and a third-year, and the first-year medical student is phenomenal, is uh, Dr. Andrew Strike. I, I don't know if he would appreciate me dropping his name on the podcast, but he's been fantastic. He's been a big help to getting me acclimated and figuring out where everything's at, and uh, it's really not been too strenuous as of yet. I am still just kind of following the team around, figuring out what they do. Um, but it is an inpatient service. So we are seeing, uh, as a team, we have 15 patients that we are on the service for. And of course, we, when we discharge some, we can get some more added to us as admits. And yeah, I'm trying to think about how to let's just go into the day-to-day because I think that's kind of one of the, the best takeaways here is. So today was more or less the example of the, the day-to-day. So get there about 5.30 in the morning, start doing your pre-rounding paperwork. You're just going over all the information on your patients. In this hospital, uh, in this program, they have uh, a 7 o'clock handoff. So you chat with uh, the night crew and the night crew and the also the evening shift um, that kind of did the long call. Uh, they are going to give you a report on your patients and tell you what happened over the night. And uh, of course, some of that stuff you're going to probably know just based on your some of your chart review, but you will kind of hit the ground running, if, especially if something wasn't charted. And so you get the information from them. And then we run up to the floors and we, we go see our patients. We talk to the patients, figure out how, how they've been doing overnight and uh, maybe talk to them a little bit about the plan. Uh, the residents, of course, do a little bit more of this. I, being a medical student, uh, I'm not really particularly comfortable sharing what I think the plan is with a patient because the odds are I'm not going to get it quite right. And so I prefer to kind of run it by the residents uh, or 
the third year resident, first year resident, whatever, or the attending, I just kind of want to run it by them first before I tell the patient anything like that. But I can still talk to the patient, get a history, get a do some physical exams, what much as I can do. And then uh, I go back, hopefully. Right now, I've only been assigned one patient. So that's a pretty small number. Um, of course, when I was on Dr. Lomboy's service, I had a few more patients than that. And when I was following the hospitalist at uh, Houston Hospital, we had quite a few more patients than that. So this is a pretty light schedule as of right now. But that is essentially my day-to-day. I think tomorrow maybe I'll get another patient to take care of or more. I don't know. I'm a four, I'm the, the fourth year, so there's a little bit more expected of the fourth year compared to the third year. So I also have a third-year medical student that is with me. So essentially the team is, I think, two interns, a third-year resident, and attending physician, and two med students. So that's a, it's a pretty big, pretty good-sized team. And we try to divide up the work as much as, well, the med students are, aren't taking really our fair share. But we're, I'm, there, I'm there to work, and I'm happy to get, take on whatever they want to give me. So the residents are, of course, seeing their patients, and that takes them all the way till probably about 9, 9.30, and that's when we meet the attending, and we start the, the real round. So <laughs> that's when the res- attending will go to each of the patient's rooms, and we will... If it's our patient, we will give our presentation on what's what's going on with the patient, and we try to do a presentation in the format that they want. Uh, I'm not really comfortable being, I haven't been really critiqued very well on it, so I don't want to give you what the format is and then be wrong. Maybe next week I'll do that. But essentially, you're supposed to kind of follow a, a particular format, give them the information, and then as third year, I think you might be able to get a way of talking about an assessment and maybe start thinking about a plan. At fourth year, they really expect you to have a differential diagnosis, a bunch of different diagnoses, an assessment, and possibly uh, a pretty good plan. Maybe not perfect, but you know you got to start actually be thinking that way because fourth year is essentially pre-intern year for residency. So you got to kind of start turning those wheels and going, this is what I'm seeing. And a lot of times, you know, these are patients that have been evaluated by other physicians, the ED, whatever. So you can kind of cheat a little bit and look at their plans. The recommendation I was given before I started the rotation was to look at those, consider them, but also think of some of your own. Because sometimes the physicians that are evaluating them, they aren't in the educational portion of the hospital. And so maybe they're just kind of making more shortcuts or they're just getting more straight to the point. Whereas your attending is going to think you need to consider all sorts of different differential diagnoses and consider those and talk about them and why you've ruled one out or what you're going to do to rule them out. So there's a definitely something to be said. You can look at other people's work and kind of go off of it, but you got to at least think a little bit around it as well so you don't get caught in someone else's thought process and then get, you know, if you get asked a question and you're not ready for it. So by and large, today went well. This is the first day we rounded with this particular attending physician. I'll have him probably for the next six days and then um, another attending physician will take over the team. And there's also new residents. So the, the residents I just listed, the, the two interns in the third year, well, they're going to stop their service Thursday and a new team of residents will start up and take on the MTS G1 group, which is what I'm in. I'm in the MTS. I'm not sure what that stands for, but the G1 group. So they, I will have new residents, <laughs> possibly new roles, new uh, things to do. So we will see how that holds. And, uh, and everyone so far has been super nice and I'm definitely looking forward to 
the next few weeks. And I did write some notes here so I wouldn't just ramble on forever. But uh, one of the things I wrote down is like, how did I prepare for this rotation? And because that was something I, I get, uh, usually I get really nervous before rotations and I'm scrambling to try to figure out who's had this rotation and what can they possibly tell me? What should I know? What should I be prepared for? What should I be reading or watching? What videos? What topics should I be really well versed in? And uh, the best I can say is I ran across uh, a resident who was a former resident, a physician now, who was a resident of this program. And so I met up with him and got to pick his brain a little bit on how presentations should go, how the flow of things should go. He didn't quite remember exactly how medical students um, function in the group, but he was able to provide me some good information, also helped me. Uh, let me kind of write down and take some pictures of how things might be ordered on the tabs of the EPIC program so you can kind of flow through the chart a little bit easier. Um, It sounds kind of dumb or simple, but it's anything that kind of makes your life easier and more efficient, especially when you're working with an electronic medical record system. It's definitely a plus. And so, and having worked on EPIC before, it's still very similar. There's some nuances because I worked on Epic as a surgery coordinator, not as a physician. So your different role kind of changes how you can interact with the program. And as a physician or as a student physician, I have a very different role uh, and different uh, way to interact with Epic. But it's not so foreign that I have no idea what's going on. So that was helpful. I do kind of wish I had a little bit more information. But at the same time, uh, my first these are my first two days, and I ha- it hasn't been overwhelming the program has been pretty nice i'm sorry i, I kind of skipped over some of the day-to-day stuff because we you round with your attendee and you present and then you wrap up around noon if you haven't finished rounding you will round in the afternoon but at noon they have what's called uh, didactics every day they have somebody present it's either monday was kind of an odd day once a month they have a kind of the state of the residency program talk by the program director and um today we they had a former physician come in and he talked about facial pain and headaches he was a former neurologist so we got some good information on medications that work well and you know differential diagnosis of that sort of stuff so that was all pretty neat uh and so you generally stop your rounds, go grab food from the physician's office or physician's lounge, and then head into the didactics classroom and eat your lunch while you listen to the didactics. And so that's, and then right after that, you, if you haven't finished rounding, you go back and round. If you have finished, that's the time that you start writing your notes. And of course, the residents are typing their notes up and they're being a little bit more efficient than I am. I have only one patient and I'm taking my sweet time on it. But you can also tell the residents are having a good time. They're all there. They're all typing the notes. And so there's a lot of crosstalk going on. And, of course, during that time, they're putting in you know, the orders are being placed for whatever labs, whatever imaging studies, whatever procedures we want done on the, on the patients. And during that time, you're answering questions from the nurse. You're answering questions from the patients. And it's a whole it's a whole bunch of stuff going on. And then that basically leads to about four o'clock we have what's basically called um, table talk and that's when the attending will come back down he usually comes back into the the graduate medical education office and we meet in one of the conference rooms and we talk about all of our patients again what labs were ordered got done what were the results what's our plan you know what, what are we waiting on what's been, what's been going well and we just talk about all of the patients one more time but we don't round on them per se then about five o'clock, 
we do handoff. So there's one team, one G1 through five or whatever, that is basically assigned to do long call. So they basically take call from 2 o'clock to 7 p.m. And that team takes handoff at 5 o'clock. So that basically means we take we give our patients to them and say, hey, for the next two hours, anything that happens in the hospital, you got to show up to. So we got to let you know what to expect, what to know about these patients and which patients are going to be the ones that are going to give you problems, which ones are going to be just fine. So that's, uh, that's essentially what handoff is. And they only really have to hold down the fort until they hand it off into, at 7 p.m. to the night shift. And then, of course, at 7 a.m., we <laughs> do it all over again, hand off again at 7 a.m. from the night shift. So that's essentially the day-to-day um, rotation. I, I don't, I'm not really sure if I am. The understanding going into this rotation is that I am going to do six days on, one day off. I'm not really sure as of this moment which day is my day off. <laughs> so I'm just kind of chugging along, and I'm, I'm assuming I'm just going to talk to the next resident team, and they will just tell me what to do. So I'm hoping it'll be Sunday off and that way I can just kind of travel home on Saturday and hang out with the family and go to church, do all sorts of fun Sunday things and then head back up on Monday. That's my game plan. We'll see what, what this program holds. Because in the end, and, and like I, I like this rotation. It's exciting to kind of show off a little bit and try to be as, uh, I don't know, try to sell yourself. And so far, I think it's going well. I think I'm connecting pretty well with the residents. I think I'm not embarrassing myself too much. And overall, just having kind of a, a pretty good time. And I'm asking the right questions or I'm, I'm making decent statements. And I think they, they think I'm relatively competent, which is, I think, a good thing. There's, there's always a little bit of bias when you tell them that, hey, I'm from a Caribbean school. And they kind of go, okay, you're the one Caribbean student amongst all the US MD or DO students that they currently have on rotation. And so I kind of really want to do a good job. But of course, but there's a bunch of residents there that are from Ross or other Caribbean schools. I think I met one from Ross, one from St. Martin's. And so so there definitely are students who come from Caribbean schools that are in the program, and I don't think those ones are the ones that look at you funny. But maybe it's a maybe it's something that's more paranoia than anything else. But in either case, um, I'm I'm think I'm doing it's going pretty well for what I was expecting. I was ex- expecting to kind of step on a bunch of rakes along the way, and that has not yet happened. So that's great. Um, but I don't particularly love being away from home because that means I don't get to hang out with the kids in the evening. I don't get to wake up with them. I don't get to help Karen out as much. And so Karen's kind of doing the single mom sort of thing for the next, well, four, four weeks with maybe an intermittent day here and there where I return. And then, then I'll be in Kansas City for another four weeks. And then she'll really be a single mom for four weeks. So that stinks because, you know, it's like your very pregnant wife is... It's having to do a lot of work with four kids. So I, I, I am, she's really like truly a, like a, a saint slash hero. <laughs> she can do all that stuff. But um, we talk as often as we can. So when I drive um, back home or back to where I'm staying up here, I tend to call her and catch up. And then if I'm back to my place early enough, then I'll try to FaceTime the kids and talk to them. So we're trying to figure out how to make it work. Um, But just because we are on the away rotation and getting up at four o'clock in the morning and doing pre-round, getting to the hospital by 5.30 to pre-round, because I live about a half an hour away from the hospital. Well, where I'm staying is about a half an hour away from the hospital. Just because of all that, it doesn't mean I can't 
doesn't mean I can't can't ignore my other things going on. So I have, of course, the ERAS application and the supplemental application. Uh, we are wrapping up. I, I think I did my final edits on the actual written portions of it today. So I'm pretty happy about that. I had, a again, Matthew Barvo who helped do the edits and helped give me some suggestions. Some of them were kind of no-brainers, but maybe I wouldn't have seen it unless he pointed it out to me. So I'm very thankful for his help. Um, I've been trying to tell other people, like, hey, use Matthew Barvo. I know it costs like 50 bucks, but it's worth it. You pay people a whole lot more for this kind of work and he does a great job. And honestly, at the end of the day, you don't want to miss out on a, a great residency program because you just misspelled something or you put something stupid on your application that like you look back on you like, why did I do that? And, you know, face palm. So uh, we are basically done with the ERAS and supplemental. I think the only thing left is to uh, finish picking which programs we are going to signal. So that's a bit of a tedious project. And we're, we've been using uh, quite a, a system, me and Karen, before I go to bed, we will FaceTime and we'll go over all these programs and try to figure out what we want to do. So one of the things we've been using is Match a Resident. And we talked about Match a Resident before, and there's pros and cons to it. It's kind of, you pay a certain amount of money and it creates a curated list based on the program that you're interested in applying to. And you put in your information, you know, IMG, past step one, past step two, first try, your step one and step two scores, whether or not you're going to need a visa, etc. And then they try to, and they, they, they gather information from all sorts of programs, all the programs, and they give you like a percentage chance, you know, match, you know, you have with that program. Like, not because if you get a 100% match, doesn't mean you have a 100% chance of matching at that program. It just means your criteria matches you know, the criteria that that program seems to seem to want. So there's definitely some pros that having that curated list and not having to dig through programs that you just are just way out of your league or just not something you're going to be able to do. So this has been kind of nice. But we use that. So we go down the list and we find programs. We go on to the Explorer tool and grab some information from there because we are interested in how many residents they match per year. So how, how big are the class sizes, essentially. We are looking at their salary rates for what they pay their PGY ones. We're looking at their PTO, the sick time. We're looking at any kind of fringe benefits. We also are kind of keeping an eye on their work restrictions. So some programs have like, oh, we work our residents an average of 65 hours a week and a maximum of hours you can work in a row is 12 hours or 16 hours or something like that. And you have other programs that kind of go, oh, we can we work our residents a max of 80 hours a week, which I think is the actual limit. And before you start getting kind of flagged by the credentialing agencies, um, and then like, oh, but in, you can work 24 hours in a row or 28 hours in a row. So some of those are a little bit uh, eyebrow raising. I'm not saying we have ruled them completely out, but there's certainly ones that interesting uh, for sure so we we go through this list and uh, again this the pros it's happy nice having a curated list uh, from match a resident and we're using of course uh, the aamc explore tour to get some kind of drill down and information we go onto the program website sometimes and then we will also uh, use uh, smart assets or something like that we use a, uh, a cost of living a calculator so we basically based off of like okay we can make this work here and we picked a, pr a program in macon georgia that 
we just use their salary and because it's about what we live on right now. So and then we type that in and we put in our information, the zip code where the, the new program might be. And it gives us a cost of living calculator like you would have to make you know, $60,000 if you wanted to live here and have the same standard of living that you currently enjoy enjoy in Georgia. Like you, if you live on $54,000 in Georgia, you need to make 60000 to live here or, you know, lower or higher, whatever it is. And then, of course, we look at what the program actually pays. <laughs> so that's a, um, it's not necessarily a deal breaker, but if it's like off by like $6,000, it might be a deal breaker. Because that's, it is something that's, uh, a concern for sure if you're like well if i can't afford to live there if i can't afford to have my family and have a house or have you know a place to stay and food on the table you know it's not ideal for sure Uh, again it doesn't rule out every program but it definitely causes some eyebrow raising so some things that we've learned along the way is because like the whole time we're basically creating this long list and you know we're at probably 100 programs right now and that list isn't like not every one of those 100 programs are ones that I think we are going to apply to. I think we're trying to get to 200, but we're not, we may not get to, we're, we're going to get to 200. But like, of course, right now, the 100, there might be 80 of those that we apply to. <laughs> we're going to still work our way through this residency, a match a residency thing and try to get to our 200. So it's the process. So essentially what I'm trying to say is what's, what's something that we're looking at that would be either um, worthwhile paying attention to, like what would be a sign of a good program? Uh, and there's a lot of different things. So not it's not a one size fit all. So some people will pick programs that have residencies or fellowships attached to them because you want to be maybe affiliated with a residency that has a, a cardiology fellowship or a urology, not urology, um, gastroenterology or something like that. So that that might give you an advantage possibly into going into a fellowship if that's what you want to do. Um, maybe you want more of a community health aspect, so you look at it more of a or like a rural a rural aspect. So you look for programs that are more rural, uh, or you want a city, so you go city, or you want more academic, and so you look at the academic programs. So those those are some things that pe- some people look at. And I don't know whether this is petty or not. This might be in addition to, you know, in in addition to thinking about where you'd want to live or in addition to thinking about what kind of program you'd want to practice in that would give you the best experience that you would, you're looking for. I don't know if this is petty or not, but so some things that kind of we take note of and we put notes on is if we go onto the website for the program and the program's website is trash. We write that down because the program doesn't, you know, that's the front facing part of the website, you know, of the program is you go online, you look up what the program has to offer and if they have literally nothing. <laughs> so why would you want to go to, I mean, it it, it kind of shows maybe they don't care about presenting a good, a good light to themselves. So that's something that we kind of look at. It may, again, may not be a deal breaker, but it's definitely kind of a, you tilt your head to the side and go, you know, I click on this link to see, you know, resident life and it goes 404 website not found. Like you guys have a broken link in your own program page and not, you know, and the program website is not very easy, not very intuitive, whatever. So that's one. Um, then we also look at AAMC Explorer Tour list, how many residents they take on every year. But they also mention sometimes how many residents were incorporated during the match. And they kind of leave it up like, okay, there's a difference there. So some programs will have 15 spots 
and only matched eight, and they might still have 15 students, of course, but that just means that there's seven people who soaped into the program. There's nothing wrong with soaping into a program. At the end of the day, every medical student wants to get into a program, so I don't blame any medical student for soaping into a program, but uh, it does kind of make you wonder if you know, this program, what, what caused this program to not have people rank it very high? What what caused this program to, you know, they must have ranked and interviewed a thousand people and why, or maybe 500, 400, whatever the number is, they've interviewed a whole bunch of people and they ranked those students. Why couldn't they fill 12, 15 slots? That It just asks a question. It doesn't mean the program's trash and maybe it's a brand new program and nobody knows about it. So, you know, it the unknown is not not ranked high, I guess. And I, I can talk, I guess I'll, I'll talk on that real quick because that is a point because I'm noticing in this rotation versus what I was kind of told about this program a little bit that on well, my rotation, I have a third year medical, uh, third year resident and an intern. Well, if this was the first year for this program, this rotation would only have the intern and the intern only has so much knowledge. It's basically a fourth year with a little bit more knowledge. And so... As a fourth year, you know, or as an intern, you you don't have any senior person to lean on to help you give you some guidance. It's just really you and your attending, and that can be scary. <laughs> you don't really have much of a safety net there. You can really uh, have a rough time of that. So maybe you don't want to be at a you know first first uh, class in a program. I, I don't know. I, I can definitely see some benefits of having some upper class people to show you the ropes and show you how to get through it. What's what's what before you get to your attending. So other things we look at, uh, CME, um, how much money they contribute into a CME because you might have to take boards, you might have to take tests, licenses, ACP memberships or whatever membership you want to get into. Like, so how much does the program provide for you to do that sort of stuff that again, doesn't make or break it, but it does kind of show what the program seems to be interested in if they feel like they offer you nothing and, you know, but they want you to do all that stuff. Well, that's all going to come out of your pocket. And so that's, you know, that's coming out of your salary. And unless they compensate you well, that could be a problem. And then this is just kind of a nice thing is moving allowances. Some programs will pay $1,000 to help you move because they know moving sucks and it costs money. And so and a lot of students are no longer receiving funding for their loans. And so a moving allowance helps you kind of get from point A to point B to start your program. So that's always good. And then... Um, this is one I was kind of discussed recently. I talked to a resident today about it, and, and this, is, again, could be very petty, but food allowance or access to the physician's lounge. There's a lot of, in some of these academic institutions, or at least program institutions, the physician's lounge has food in it. Free, you know, a Houston hospital has food for the physicians that the medical students have access to, as well as the residents, but some places won't allow you to use those lounges and so you have to buy your own food and that's you know again you, it seems very petty like you can i can bring my own lunch it's not a big deal i'm a big kid i can do that but there's something to be said if they you know they already provide it for the physicians and they don't want to provide it for the medical uh, the residents that's going to then what else are they going to deny the residents uh, during the course of your training so it's just kind of a mindset like if are they going to be is your program going to be kind of generous to you as a resident or is your program going to be a uh, a little misery and again that, again that's not to say <laughs> they, there isn't other pros and cons that go along with some of this stuff that's just something that 
can be a red flag. It may not be. It can't. It, who knows? But I'm, you know, this is fourth year student looking in and, you know, not necessarily resident looking out. So take that with a grain of salt. And again, the biggest one for us family is cost of living. Because again, if the cost of living is like $5,000 off, it's really unlikely to find a way to just cut the corners, uh, split, you know, cut cut our living costs down to a, a point that we can afford to live and put food on the table and put a roof over our heads and keep our cars running. So the cost of living is important, and it is it's very surprising that certain programs are paying so little compared to the region. Like some of the biggest offenders are the ones that are in major cities where. You would think, okay, if you're in Miami, Florida, it's a cost of living is skyrocketed in Miami, but like the pay is stagnant. So I don't know if they just haven't updated it or what. I don't, I don't want to call out any programs per se, but some are really good. I've seen some that, you know, they will pay $2,000 above cost of living. So that's always good. So, but again, if you're a single person, this may not really matter to you. I, of course, have a family of four kids, one on the way, you know, fifth one on the way, and a wife. So seven people, our cost of living is a little bit higher than the average single person's cost of living. So uh, I generally think that most single people can probably find a program somewhere and be just fine financially. So no, no big deal there. If you're single, take it with a grain of salt. You can, you, you can find roommates, you can find, you know, relatively cheap living quarters because most of your time is going to be spent working. So that is essentially what I have for this week. It's a little bit longer than I expected it to be, but we will try to do another update next week, how the rotation's going. I'm expecting it to pick up a little bit more in intensity, but you guys have a great rest of your week. Uh, go, f- go ahead and follow us on Instagram, MedFamilyMD. If you want to have any particular questions you want answered, we can do that directly just with you, or we can do it on the show. And you can like and subscribe to the podcast on any of the major podcasts channels spotify apple podcasts amazon music so any anywhere you listen to podcasts you should be able to find us and uh yeah you guys have a great rest of your week bye